So Judges chapter 8, verse 22 to verse uh, 35. And hopefully, as I said, you should have an outline that will help you um, stay along to know where we are going. It just gives you directions. Now, for many years, um, Hang San Suki, I think that's her name, has been the symbol of peace and the democracy around the world. In fact, she has been called Asia's Mandela. Uh, in 1991, Hang San Suu Kyi won uh, the Nobel Prize for refusing to incite violence while under arrest for 15 years in her homeland of Burma. For 15 years she was there and she was recognized for that in the way she endured under such extreme conditions. Now in 2016, her patience under the media regime finally paid off. Uh, Our party won victory against the military junta in Burma. But sadly for Ansan Suu Kyi, uh, it has been downhill ever since. Uh, if you've been following the news, you know that a government um, for which she's a state councillor, she's a prime minister, but she holds a lot of power in that government. Her government has come under fire for failing to stop the Burma military, uh, plundering, laying to worse the land owned by the Rohingya Muslims. There have been accusations of ethnic cleansing and mass killings in Rohingya. And many are blaming Han San Suu Kyi for failing to do anything about it. In fact, there are even calls for um, all over the world for people have been calling for her to earn back a Nobel Prize. It's not possible, of course, because once you give a Nobel Prize, it's irrevocable. But there have been calls for her to just hand it back um, because of the way people feel, to many people, that... Um, you know, she's not behaving very well. In the eyes of many people, we might say success has not been very kind to Suki. She started off well, but she's finishing the rest of life in disgrace. Life is full of people who started off very well, but in the end finished poorly. And this is true even for people of God. One only needs to read the book of Chronicles and the book of Kings to see how many good kings started off very well, but in the end they finished tragically. Solomon, of course, immediately comes to mind, isn't it? Starting off brilliantly and then ended his reign so tragically. And we see this actually even in the New Testament. One of the most sad Passages, I would say, in the whole Bible is 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. What does 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10 says? It says, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas made Christ, and he started off so well, and he's commended in the letter to the church at Colossae by Paul. But in the end, he failed to finish the race of life well. As Paul is dying, he looks back and can't get his name out. And he's so crushed by how Demas has lost his way. And he points out, Demas, in love with this present world, 
has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. This evening we are concluding our journey with Gideon. This morning we saw Gideon defeat all opposition. Never has a man, we would say as we've studied Gideon, never has a man experienced such goodness from God. From a farmer to a warrior, a powerful warrior, Gideon is now a success. All his enemies have been vanquished. But how will Gideon respond to God's blessings of success in his life? How will Gideon now finish the race? This is not a question just for Gideon. It is a question for each one of us here this evening. It's a question for all of us who have come to faith in Christ and have experienced God's blessing and goodness in Jesus. How should we respond to God's goodness in our lives? Well, let's see how Judges chapter 8, verse 22 to 35 helps us answer this question. The first observation I want to make from this passage in front of your outlines is that success in life can make us forsake God. Success can make us forsake God. Gideon has defeated all his enemies, I've said. He is riding high. We can imagine that after defeating the Midianites, 135,000, and having crushed other enemies like Penuel and Saput from his own people, his popularity rating in Israel is just amazing. He's the number one celebrity there. People who nearly killed him are now following him on Twitter. They are sending him, I would imagine, Facebook requests. They want to be his friends. And people are probably turning up at his house and claiming their granddad knew his granddad. You know, that kind of thing. When success comes to you, everyone wants to be your friend. And I, and I suspect that's happening to Gideon. And it does not take long before they ask Gideon to create a new dynasty for Israel. Look at verse 22. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, the men of Israel, by the way, these are the rulers of Israel, really, that they're, they're the top people. They're saying to Gideon, rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also. For you have saved us from the end of Midian. They're saying, be our king, and we want the dynasty. Your children after that will rule, and your grandchildren will rule. You can create a powerful dynasty, just like other nations have. They want Gideon to be their king. And notice carefully, they are not mentioning anything about the God of Israel. They want Gideon to be the king, not God. Uh, they have not only forgotten who their true savior is, that it's God who saved them. Uh, they, are, they, they really think that it is better to have a man as their king rather than God himself. Now we should note in passing here that all of us here are just like Israel. We look to people, human figures, to provide happiness and security that only God can provide. They want Gideon to bring happiness in their lives. An ordinary human being. And maybe your Gideon is a politician. If we only had a charismatic leader who is not accident prone, we would deliver Brexit and life would be better forever for everyone. 
And maybe your Gideon is the opposite sex. If I only marry that person, all my problems in life will be solved. All my dreams that I've always yearned for will finally come true. But you see, friends, that in the end, what we long for cannot come from other human beings. Why? Because of what Augustine said. We are made to belong to God and our hearts will always be restless until they find rest in God. There is a God-shaped hole in your heart that only God can fill. Another human being cannot do it. But sadly, like many of us, Israel is blinded by its blessings. The one Gideon as king, and how will Gideon now respond to this temptation? Look at verse 23. Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. It's an interesting response, isn't it? He has been given an opportunity to give a straight answer. The people said, Gideon, you've delivered us. Be our king. Gideon Gideon has responded (laughs) like a politician (laughs) with ambiguous message of spin doctors. Uh, We don't know what Gideon is saying here. At first reading, you think he's honoring God, but is he? We don't know whether Gideon is saying, I am not going to rule over you at all. God will. So I don't want this thing. Or... Is Gideon saying, I will rule, but remember, God is your true ruler. It's a bit like how a pastor accepting the pastorate might say, I won't be your pastor, Jesus will always be your pastor. We know what he means by that. He's still taking up the job, but he's saying, Jesus will always be your true pastor. Is that what Gideon perhaps means? We don't know. Is he rejecting? Is he accepting? We don't know. That's why it's good to pause, reflect, and think about what the text is saying. The only way we know what Gideon means is by looking at how he actually behaves in practice. Will he live like a king or not? But first, let's let him finish. Look at verse 24 to 25. He's still talking. And Gideon said to them, they made a request. He said in verse 23, I will not rule over you, my son will not rule over you, and the Lord will rule over you. And then verse 24 says, And Gideon said to them, Let me make a request of you. Every one of you, give me the earrings from his spoil. For they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. And they answered, We will willingly give them. And they spread the cloak, and every man threw in, in it the earrings of his spoil. What we're seeing now is that Gideon has just imposed a war bounty tax. They have captured the million, they have killed the Midianite, they've defeated them, and from that they have captured quite a lot of treasure. And Gideon now, having said you will not rule over them, he's just imposed a tax. He says, Can each of you just give me one? He's, he's, he's specifying what he wants. And all the tribes. Agree. They all agreed to it. Look at verse 26. 
And the word of the golden earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold. He said, Lord, besides the crescent ornaments, remember he had got these crescent ornaments from Ziba and Zamuna, and the pendants and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian, and besides the collars that were around the necks of their camels. Gideon is very rich. He's the richest man now in Israel. I mean, he may as well call himself a king. We should note in passing an interesting detail here, by the way, that Gideon possesses, this is important, he possesses the crescent ornaments, it's in verse 26, the crescent ornaments of the kings of Midian. In other words, and they are clubs, in other words, Gideon, he's taken all the symbols from the Midianites of kingship. If Gideon has refused to be king of Israel, he is certainly now behaving like one. And the stench of his rotten heart now is getting stronger and stronger. Look at verse 27. And Gideon made an effort of it and put it in his city, in Ophrah, in his city. He's got a city now, in Ophrah. What is an ephod? An ephod is a garment the high priest of Israel wears. Uh, he has 12 stones on the front of the garment representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And he's got a little pocket or porch at the front that contains the Urim and Thummim. And basically these are stones, right, uh, that are used by the high priest to discern the will of God. Gideon has made his garment thing, right? And he's made it from this world bound. It's probably now made of gold all over the place. It's just gone. Perhaps not just 12 is not enough. He's got enough money to just make the best garment he can make. And he has taken this thing and he's placed it in his city, his personal city now, Ophrah. And it's there now. It's almost like Gideon's golden calf. Because you see what happens to it. Let's finish verse 27. And all Israel warred after it there. And it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. What a sad legacy Gideon has created. The man who started off his career destroying idols has now created his own idol in his own town. And all over Israel, people are coming to this thing, they're worshipping it. And Gideon perhaps is you know, you know, he's not just sponsoring this new religion of his. You know, he's probably, you know, once in a while perhaps he dresses up in this and who knows what they're doing, perhaps bowing down to him. But he's in church now, he's got a new capital, religious capital, his own town. And he's very much now behaving as a king. What a sad legacy. Gideon, remember God called Gideon to turn the people from unfaithfulness to the true God. But Gideon now leads them to forsake God completely. Just look with me on, at verse 33 to verse 34. Look at his legacy. This is Gideon's legacy. He says, as soon as Gideon died, we are fasting forward a bit, we'll come back. The people of Israel turned again. And warred after the, ba- the bells and, the, and made Belberith. By the way, Belberith, we'll look at it next week. Belberith is basically the bell of the covenant. Uh, they almost have created 
their own God, really, and their God. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side. This is Gideon's legacy. He has turned and completely destroyed all the success he had achieved. We should note in passing here that it is possible to display all the marks of success as individuals and yet be failures in the eyes of God. To Israel, Gideon is a hero, but to God is a complete failure. Success in life is not necessarily the same thing as pleasing God. If we want to avoid spiritual decay and not end up like Gideon, it is important that we know in our lives what success looks like from God's perspective. Let me ask you a question this evening. What is the definition of success in your work with God? How are you measuring success? Is your work with God moving forward in a successful manner? What is the definition of success in your marriage? How how are you measuring that your marriage is following the patterns that God himself wants you to follow? What is the definition of success in your family life as a parent? What is the definition of success at work, in your workplace? All of us have to ask ourselves how God sees the situation he has placed us in. Because, you see, we could be working hard at work, we could be working hard in the home, we could be doing many things in the church, and in the eyes of the world, we may look like a success, and the world may pat pat us at the back, right? But in the eyes of God, we may be complete failures. But the main point here, you see, is that Gideon has forsaken God, despite all the blessings that God has given him. How is that possible? How has it come to this? Well, the simple answer is that, you see, it seems Gideon only knows God in his head. He knows God in his head, but the beauty and wonder of God has not gripped his heart. You see, if Gideon was a Christian, we would say he knows a lot of Bible verses and has a good testimony but the love of the cross is missing in his heart. We would say he has a huge and growing gap between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus intimately. The love of the man Jesus is absent, even though he knows a lot. And for Gideon and all of us, this becomes more obvious the more God blesses us. That's the irony. And this is the peril of success. Because you see, if your heart is not gripped by the cross, it's not gripped by the Lord Jesus Christ, when God blesses you, the very blessing of God in your life will become an idol now. It will enable you now to abandon trust in God. What God has blessed you with, you now curse Him with it. Many of us pray for God to give us a job, and he does, he's given us a job. But then it is not enough. Because suddenly you want to climb the corporate ladder. 
Suddenly you want to get a second job to get more shifts. And all of a sudden the God you are praying to to give you all of these things, who has blessed you with these things, and he has, recedes in the background. You're now worshipping your job and you're not worshipping the God who gave you that job. You pray to God to give you a child, say, for example. I've seen it happen. And God, after many years, gives you a child. But it's very easy for that child now to become an idol. Grandparents pray for God to give them grandchildren. And yet God has given them grandchildren, and yet they're now worshipping the grandchildren rather than the God who gave them. Their life now is not dominated by the love of Christ. It's dominated by that gift that God has given them. You pray for God to let you meet someone. You weep, you weep. God, send someone in my life. I want to get married. And God gives you that. But you see, instead of looking to God who has given you that person, that person God has given you becomes your effort. You now worship that individual. And you forget God completely. Success can make us forget God. That is the first truth we learn here. Success can make us forget God. We are really not different from Gideon. Here's the second truth we learn from this passage, and it's good news for us. God never forsakes us. We are expecting that God will rain fire on Gideon, but instead we read that God has kept his promise with Gideon. Look at verse 28. So Midian was subdued before the people of Israel. We say, so Midian was subdued before the people of Israel. And they, that the Midianites, raised their heads no more. They are completely crushed. And the land had rest for 40 years in the days of Gideon. Do you notice what's happened here? The word so in verse 28 is important. Because it's coming after verse 27 that says, And all Israel warred after it, and it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. So Midian was subdued. In the context of that idolatry, God is blessing them. And this is the first time in Judges we see God giving them rest in the context of willful disobedience. And don't mistake this word rest. It's not just resting, you know, like we do Sunday afternoon. Rest in judges, as we have been learning, means peace and calm, is shalom. The entire country is now safe and secure from enemies within and from outside. War has stopped. Peace, peace is flowing. People can now get on with their daily activities. Farming is thriving. Village life has reached such wonderful social Peak. And yet Israel is warring after Gideon's effort. Are you not amazed, as I am, that God is giving them such blessing while they are stabbing him in his heart? Israel is living in spiritual prostitution. That's why the word warred after them. They are married to God. And they are now leaving their husband to do to give what belongs to God to this effort. 
as I was thinking about this, I almost thought it like this. It is almost like God being a door bouncer outside a brothel. Because in effect, what God is doing is that if you look at Israel, Israel is practicing spiritual prostitution. And yet God has given them peace, he's protecting them, he's not allowing any enemies to come and crush them. He's preserving them in the midst of their sin. This is a remarkable outpouring of God's grace to sinners. And did you notice another interesting thing in the passage? The land has rest for 40 years in the days of Gideon. Did you miss that? The blessing, the outpouring of God's blessings is throughout the life of Gideon. God has kept his promise to be with Gideon, even though Gideon has abandoned him. And that peace lasts for 40 years. And the blessings on Gideon's life are all there for all to see. Look at verse 29 to verse 32. There are many, not just the peace. Jerubel, the son of Joash, that is Gideon, went and lived in his own house. He's moved out. <laughs> He's moved out. Remember when we met him in chapter 6, he was living under the roof of, the, of his father Joash. He's a big man now. He's got his own things going and he's got, you know, 70 sons. We read in, in, in verse, verse 13. Now Gideon had 70 sons with his own offspring, for he had many wives. And his concubine was in Shechem, also bore him a son, and he called him his name Abimelech. And Gideon, the son of Joash, died in a good old age and was buried in the tomb of Joash, his father, at Ophrah of the Abiezerites. Gideon has lived a life as a king. God has prospered him materially. And notice here that God is blessing Gideon again more and more, right? But yet Gideon is getting more and more rebellious. Did you notice something interesting here? Gideon has the audacity to name his son Abimelech. What does Abimelech mean? It means my father is king. I mean, it's just, the man has completely lost the plot. And yet, what's amazing is that in all of these things, as, he, as God blesses him, he increases in rebellion, and yet God has preserved him into a good old age and blessed him. Why? Because God never forsakes his people. He's always true to his word. He said that in Judges 6, I will be with you. And God is keeping it to him, even though he's letting God down. What we have here, friends, is an amazing picture of God's blessing to sinners with abundant peace and prosperity. While they are still sinners, while they are still in rebellion, it is saying our God is a God of peace who extends this amazing love to sinners like Gideon. Sinners like you and I. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It, because the grace of God here is, is pointing us forward. The grace of God to Gideon is pointing us forward to the lavish grace of God that we have received in Jesus Christ our Lord. And Paul writing to the church at Ephesus says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. 
not a reserve of works so that no one may boast. For we are his work of art, his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I just want to say, if you are a true follower of Jesus this evening, despite all your sin, despite all your doubts, despite all your distrust of God, despite you clinging to your efforts, despite all of that, God is still reaching out to you in Jesus with love. Do you see, friends, that the greatest blessings of God has given you are not material? No, God has reached out to you with his nailed hands on the cross. And he's poured his love on you. And that, of course, brings us to the very heart of this passage. How should we respond to a God so loving, so gracious towards us like this? Well, the final point. We must stay faithful. Now, I'm sure Joe would agree with me that... A football team is most vulnerable when? When they've just scored. Well, we know that, don't we? Very often, just when they have scored, you won't believe how many times all of a sudden the other team turns around and scores again. Success makes us lose our focus. The blessings that God gives us makes us lose our focus on Him, the giver of the blessings. And this is what has happened to Gideon. Gideon, after being strengthened by God, has finished life as a failure. He has destroyed his own success. And how has this happened? Well, we are not taught specifically about Gideon, but we know how it has happened to all of Israel. Look at verse 34, our final verses, 34 to verse 35. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side. And they did not show steadfast love, has it, to the family of Jerubel, that is Gideon, in return for all the good that he had done to Israel. Gideon and Israel have not stayed faithful to God because they have allowed success to make them forget God as their true Savior. That's the key word in verse 34 is what? The, the key phrase is that the people of Israel did not remember. It's good to have a good memory. And they seem to be forgetting God. And this is true for all people of God. We struggle to give up our sin because we have short memories of God and His grace towards us. We forget that we were sinking knee deep in sin. And the master of sin you know, reached out to us. He saved us by His own blood. We forget that we were in the miry bog. And God reached out to us and saved us. When we were without God and without hope in the world. And when we forget the grace, when we forget what God has done for us, when we forget the wonder of Jesus, of course we won't finish the race. Therefore, in order for us to stay faithful to God, we need to keep remembering how God has saved us. For Israel, they needed to keep remembering how God had used Gideon to deliver them. For us, as we saw this morning, Jesus is our Gideon. So for us, what we need to do is we need to remember how God 
has saved us in Christ, delivered us from sin, death, Satan, and hell through our Gideon, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what I'm getting at? You know where I'm going? Where I'm going is that we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. We need to remind ourselves every day of the good news of Jesus. God wants us to stay faithful and to finish the race right through our old age. We do that by remembering and preaching to ourselves the good news of Jesus. Now, if you are like me, you want to remember the gospel every day. You want to remember that you are a sinner, that Jesus died for your sins, and that you are dead with him, dead and buried with him, and that you rose from the grave with him. You want to remember that you are seated in the heavenly places with Christ. You want to remember that Jesus is coming, the new heaven, the new earth are breaking in. You want to remember all of that. You want to remember the new heaven, the new earth when you get to work, because work doesn't look like the new heaven, the new earth. You want to remember that so you can stay faithful. But it's hard, right? It is hard to do that. It is hard to do that. So how do we remember what we are prone to forget? Well, it starts first of all by honestly confessing our failure to remember. It starts there, repentance. Come to God every day and be honest with him that I forget your love. I forget all that you've done for me on the cross. Because if we're going back to that, then that's the beginning. Staying faithful reminds us that it's not about ending our, our place in heaven. It is about becoming in practice who already are inside. We are children of God. We are heaven bound. So let's come to God and boldly confess our sins to him and let us ask God to give us his spirit, you know, to fill us with his Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit will continue to remind us and enable us to have that deep love and appreciation for the good news of Jesus. So confess and ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to enable us to remember. But there is more. And this is crucial. You can pray for something specific. You can ask God through his Holy Spirit to enable you to practice the means of grace in your life. God has given us the means of grace as a way to remind us of the cross every day. And the most important means of grace, I would say, when it comes to this issue, of course, is the Lord's table. Because as we come to the Lord's table, as we did this morning, we are reminded again, don't we? The bread is broken for us. The blood that has been shed for us. And as we take, that's why I love the fact that we do this twice a month. Because as we are taking that, we are being, preaching the gospel to ourselves. And of course, the other means of grace, prayer. We come to God, we pray the gospel. When you pray, speak to God about what he's done in Christ. And of course, read the Bible. Set aside time in the year when you just sit with yourself and maybe reading the Gospel of Mark or reading the Gospel of John. Get acquainted with Jesus afresh. Get acquainted with what he's done for us. That is how we finish strong. Repentance and practicing the means of grace. It is how we avoid the perils of success. And we don't end up like Gideon. Well, may God help all of us to stay faithful until we see Jesus face to face. Amen.